Chapter Ten of *The Hall in the Grove* by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Accidents? Question mark. The Ward family were at the breakfast table. A breakfast table where no mother presides seems at all times a dreary sight. And if, in addition to that, no feminine hand save a hireling's ministers to the comfort of the family, the desolation is increased still there is certainly a difference in hirelings the one who presided over the ward household was the poorest of her kind therefore the tablecloth was drearily spotted with yolk of eggs coffee stains gravy stains and the like also it was put on in a drearily crooked manner and had a dreary hole at one end mr ward senior looked older by several years than he ought and stirred his muddy coffee in a desolate way and looked with a discouraged air at the slices of stale bread and the untidy butter-plate and felt as though he wanted no breakfast for some reason and yet must get through the form of eating it his two sons were seated on opposite sides of the table and were the only other occupants of the room nancy the housekeeper and maid of all work who usually occupied the seat at the foot of the table was absent this morning intent on some kitchen work and father and sons were alone james was rather gratified over this state of things for he had a matter of importance to bring before his father since the evening that we first made this young man's acquaintance he had had some strange experiences it would have been impossible for him to have explained to any person the reasons for the numerous revulsions of feeling which he had endured a hundred times so it seemed to him had he gone over the story of his past life and the possibilities of the future and pronounced himself a fool and a dolt and a hulking scoundrel and sundry other hard names with which his street life had made him familiar there were times when he told himself that it was too late to make any changes now he was nothing but an ignoramus and would never be anything else there were times when he told himself that he had not the least desire to crawl in among those upstarts and pretend to be smart when he wasn't there were times when he assured himself that he had no taste in that direction and didn't want to have their books were stupid and their talk was stupid and he wasn't intended to be one of them and was glad of it there were times when he was certain that it made no sort of difference to him whether any of those people who thought themselves better than common folks noticed him or not but there were also times when he admitted that he wished with all his soul that he belonged to that special clique by right of mental power as did some of the others bennett for instance he was unlike paul adams in that he could not settle a question at once and leave it settled instead he went back to it again and again going over the same ground and coming to different conclusions according to the mood in which he started there were days when he was not so much disgusted with anything in life as with his copy of merivale there had as yet been no time in which he had settled himself with a determination to master it such a determination as paul brought to his first chapter yet by degrees had james ward been drawn steadily towards the decision for which his friends were watching such a succession of curious and apparently trivial incidents as had contributed toward this decision 
one afternoon when he was coming slowly down street with his head bent on the ground going over the problem and wondering how he could decently reply in the negative to a note that dr monteith had sent him giving him a special invitation to the next circle he came in direct contact with that gentleman he had studied out an answer by that time and it was in the negative and he felt cross and defiant in the precise mood not to care what dr monteith thought of him now for it he said as he saw the gentleman approaching rapidly i'll tell him no i won't come that i wasn't cut out for a scholar and there is no use in trying to spoil the pattern i'll tell him there are too many literary stuck-ups now and i don't want to swell the number and that i think my kind of life is the gayer of the two and i mean to stick to it and he can just let me alone did dr monteith careful student of human nature as he was see the defiant glitter in the young man's eyes if he did he made no sign neither did he ask for any momentous decision instead he said heartily ha ward perhaps you are just the man i want don't you pass mr allison's on your way home i thought so could you accommodate me by calling at the door and leaving this package for miss amy it is some c l s c circulars that i promised she should have this evening she wished them for special reference i think and i am unusually busy to-night how was a reasonable person to refuse so simple a request as that even though he were cross young ward did not see his way clear to saying no albeit he took the package somewhat reluctantly thank you said the doctor still heartily ignoring the ungraciousness if he saw it if you chance to see miss amy perhaps you will be kind enough to explain to her that the full course is not announced in this circular there are certain studies not yet arranged that will be duly announced later if he should chance to see miss amy the suggestion was a startling one he had never rung mr allison's doorbell he had never expected to as a caller it seemed to him a very near approach to that condition to be sent on an errand to miss amy with a verbal message for her the suggestion was not entirely unpleasant still it was not in the least likely he should see the young lady i know one thing i shan't ask for her he told himself as he transferred the package to his pocket but behold miss amy was in the hall on her way to the door when the bell rang she was in her new walking suit and the cunningest of fur caps was perched jauntily on one side of her head a great green bird looking as though it had just alighted there to peer at her a minute adorned its front and altogether miss amy was pretty to behold she advanced and opened the door herself now although her good resolution not to be acquainted with caroline was taken so recently young ward was a different person he certainly was no second help in any one's house and he was a young man miss amy was of the type of silly girlhood to whom a young man is a continued and irresistible source of pleasure to be sure young ward bore a most unenviable reputation she had more than once heard her father say that he was a hard case and would bring up in state prison yet if he continued to do nothing but lounge around the streets and smoke cigars but still she could no more help being chatty and agreeable to him than she could help looking like a butterfly that was going to float away into the air oh good evening 
she said, are those the circulars that Dr. Monteith promised me? I'm going to send one to my cousin Harvey. I want him to get up a circle, but I don't believe he will. Harvey is a real dunce about books. He doesn't like to read. He hates history, he says, but I tell him this is very different from sitting down alone and reading. Don't you think so? Young Ward admitted that he did, and then he bethought himself of Dr. Monteith's directions, and gave them as lucidly as he could. And Miss Amy thanked him, and chatted on, and finally it transpired that she was just going downtown, and would walk with him as far as the corner. So they went down Main Street together. And it is a singular fact that it was the first time in his life that young Ward ever found himself walking in the pleasant light of a winter sunset, side by side with a well-dressed ladylike girl. I am not sure that he was conscious of any connection between the two when he reconsidered the question of the circle, after leaving Miss Amy at the corner, and concluded that perhaps he would do well to try it a little while, anyway. He could drop off at any time he chose. If he could have gone home with Amy, and been invisible while the Allison family gathered at the supper-table, and listened to the conversation, I cannot undertake to say what effect it might have had on his resolution. Something like this occurred. Amy, did my eyes deceive me, or did I see you walking out this afternoon with that scapegrace of a ward? I put on my glasses and came to the office door to look after you, and even then I felt as though I must be mistaken. It was her father's voice, and her mother exclaimed, Why, Amy Allison, it isn't possible that you were out walking with him. In the same breath her sixteen-year-old brother said, Upon my word, Amy, you aimed high this afternoon, didn't you? Oh, now, said Miss Amy, what a commotion you are making about nothing. He stopped at the door with some papers that Dr. Monteith sent round to me, just as I was going out, and I couldn't well avoid walking to the corner with him. Dr. Monteith, is Jim Ward his errand boy? This from the brother. Then Miss Amy. No, he isn't. Then the father. No, I'll be bound he isn't. He hasn't that amount of respectability about him. He is too lazy ever to be anyone's errand boy. My dear, said the mother, I am afraid you are too careless about your appearance on the street. I hope you will take care that you are not his companion again, even as far as the corner. I shouldn't like to have your name mentioned in connection with him. Before Amy could pucker her pretty lips for an answer, her father saved her the trouble. No, indeed, daughter, I suppose your good nature is equal to doing almost anything to save a person's feelings, but James Ward is not the sort of fellow whose feelings need to be carefully considered. I won't have you walking with him even to the corner. Don't forget it. I haven't the least desire to, Papa. And here the conversation drifted into other channels, father and mother Allison feeling comfortably over the thought that they had thus warned their lamb of the danger of evil associates, and helped to guard her against future indiscretions. Life is full of queer places. Of course, every one who has thoughtfully studied the dangers of youth and the temptations of evil companionship is in sympathy with Mr. and Mrs. Allison, and yet their daughter, as regarded the act for which they had been censuring her, 
was really nearer to accomplishing something worth living for than she had ever been before during her pretty, useless life. After all, there is a way out of the puzzle. One cannot help wishing that Amy had been the sort of girl to whom her father could have said, "'Well, daughter, I saw you taking a few steps with young Ward today. I suppose you remembered whose banner you fight under while you walked with him, and tried to prevail on him to enlist, didn't you?' But then, in order to make that remark, Mr. Allison would have had to be a different father from the one he was. Meantime, I am glad that James Ward did not hear the tea-table conversation in this Christian family. His interest in Miss Amy was a sort of flitting fancy, such as one might readily have for a sunny butterfly, and of course his decision, only half-hearted as it was, varied again with the next breath that depressed the arguments for it. Yet it was worthy of notice that his objections to it were weaker than before." still the few peeps that he took into merivale discouraged him as he had not supposed a single book could and the more regular life he was trying to lead was becoming a great bore to him meantime he began to grow very weary of this indecision and to wish that something would happen to settle it for him one way or the other something did happen curiously enough paul adams had a hand in the matter his devotion to Merivale, which continued at white heat, so absorbed his evenings that although Joe especially missed him sadly and tried heartily to beguile him into his old haunts, it had been in vain. Joe, by the way, about whom I find I have said nothing, was insufferably bored by this entire matter. It took none of his time to reach a decision. He would have none of it books were not to his mind, never had been, never would be. He cared not a fig for Mrs. Fenton's parlour, or for Dr. Monteith's notice. Miss Amy might bow and smile upon him for a month at a time, and it would have made no more difference to him than her ignoring of his existence would have done, save so far as it had ruined Paul and made his brother a silent nuisance. Joe bore the circle no ill will, but he wanted nothing of it it in no sense appealed to his sympathies. What was there that would? "'What is Paul about evenings, anyway?' asked James Ward, suddenly waking to the fact that his brother had been grumbling for half an hour over some failure of plans owing to Paul's desertion. "'About? Why, he's swallowing that outrageous book that you were such a stupid as to buy. He pours over it all day in the shop, and all night at home, and is going stark crazy, I verily believe, over the blamed old Romans. I wish they had been drowned in their famous Tiber before ever I heard of them. Here was food for thought. James Ward turned the puzzle over and over in his mind during the day, trying to solve it. When at school he had been judged a passable scholar, quick to learn when he chose to apply himself and more than once his teacher had told him confidentially that there was the stuff in him to make a student of if he would work. Down deep in his heart James had always carried a sort of fancy that if his mother had lived and had wanted him to, very much indeed, he would have worked at his books and been a scholar to please her. But the father did not care for books, and there seemed nobody to please and no motive sufficiently strong to keep him out of mischief but here was paul adams who had never done anything in school never been to any but the very ordinary common school 
while James had spent nearly two years at the academy, and Paul Adams was poring over Merivale's Rome, while he had not been able to get through three chapters of it. It chanced that that very evening Paul took a holiday and came down to see his old friends. They sat up until after ten o'clock in that same disorderly room, and James questioned and cross-questioned the boy thus suddenly transformed into the student. There was no denying the fact that he was desperately in earnest about Rome, and also wonderfully interested. More than that, he was able to impart information. "'See here,' he said, and he had drawn from his pocket a thick, smooth board covered all over with dots and lines. "'Here are the seven hills as large as life, that is, if you put imagination enough into it. And here's the Tiber winding along, goes this way and then that. Up here are the Apennines, and over there are the Alps. Tall fellows those, I tell you, but the seven hills aren't so very high. This old Palatine is my favorite, nicest location that for a house that I know of. When I build mine I think of putting it there. Then did James pour the puzzled questions at him, while Joe sat with his hands in his pocket, a look of unutterable disgust on his face, whistling Hail Columbia. There was certainly no doubt about it. Paul Adams was becoming acquainted with Rome. If he can understand the book and get interested in it like this, there is no reason on earth why I shouldn't. This was James Ward's decision, and just then he leaned very far towards a definite settlement in favor of the CLSC. One more gentle wave would carry him over the bar, and it came to him the very next afternoon, came, too, through Amy Allison's unthinking aid. He was passing up the one main street, and the afternoon being pleasant, it was unusually filled with promenaders, among them pretty Miss Amy in a more becoming street suit than before, and by her side Jack Butler. James Ward was, however, sufficiently indifferent to her not to recognize who she was until just as he was about to pass the couple, being annoyed by their slow progress. Then he turned his head in her direction, and recognized the gay bird looking down into her eyes, and then the eyes looking up. Then he bowed, and Miss Amy, albeit she would hardly have had the courage to have walked with him again to the corner, had no disposition in her gay little heart to ignore so admiring a bow as he bestowed upon her, especially as she insisted to herself that he had real handsome eyes. Some obstruction occurred on the street just then, and James, although in front of the couple, had to move very slowly. The question is, did Jack Butler know that his voice would be heard? Whether he did or not, it was, and what he said was, what on earth is that fellow bowing to you for? What fellow? And the bright eyes beneath the bird's eyes were raised to the speaker. Why, that ward youngster! How does he happen to be sufficiently acquainted with you to bow? Oh, we are acquainted. I met him at Mrs. Fenton's, at our circle, you know. Upon my word, I did not know. Your circle is no respecter of persons, it seems. Really, that is too rich and Jack Butler laughed in a tone that so finished a gentleman ought to have known was too loud for the street. Then he added, "'Why, my dear Miss Amy, your charity is unbounded, but that boy is simply a street-lounger. Only that, and nothing more. 
he hasn't brains enough to be anything very bad still i would just as soon you wouldn't recognize his bow as for being a member of a literary society it is too ridiculous to call forth any emotion but ridicule the obstruction was removed and young ward passed on but his face was white and his eyes burned he had not learned delicacy of speech in his street life so perhaps it is not strange that he expressed himself after this wise you unsufferable puppy if i hadn't more brains than you have i'd knock them out on the nearest tree we'll see if i can't provoke some other emotion besides ridicule by belonging to a literary society and the momentous decision having passed through as many windings as the tiber itself was finally made End of chapter 10